You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to have you join us uh, today. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And the story you just heard, we're going to be hearing stories throughout this month, uh, illustrates something we're going to be talking about throughout the month of January, which is the power of prayer. And uh, man, I, I believe God has something in store for your life today. It's an amazing day. There's snow on the ground. And some of you are like, I hate that. It's wonderful. There's snow on the ground. For, for all of our Orthodox Christian friends, today is their Christmas. So that's a cool thing, right? Um, and hopefully this afternoon we'll find out that the Steelers made this playoffs because the Bills or the Jaguars are going to lose, right? I was hoping last night the Colts and the uh, Texans would tie, which is practically impossible, but I was hoping, but they didn't, so we still have a chance. There's still a chance, still a chance. Um, It's going to be a good day, and I believe that uh, for those watching online, those that are here in person, like there's no accidents that God has you here for a reason, and I, I hope you recognize that, that maybe you got here for, for a random way, through a random way, or, or someone just invited you, or, or you just woke up and you're like, ah, maybe I'll go to church today, but God has you here for a reason, for a purpose, and there are no accidents, so before we start, can we just start with prayer, can we start and just invite God's presence, which is already here, but our awareness of the, his presence, so if you could bow your heads with me, God, I thank you for today, God, I know you have something special in store for this moment for these moments we have together. God, I pray you would remove every distraction. God, things that pull our attention off of you, that that we would see you through everything, through your word. God, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes this morning. God, that through what I share and through what takes place this morning, Lord, that you would capture our hearts. God, that we would capture your heart. As your word says, that we could seek you with all our heart and find you and experience the reality of who you are, not just what others say or what we perceive, but, but truly who you are today. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. <clears throat> you know, as, as a church, uh, there's so much good that we get to do throughout our community, throughout the world, through our Calvary Cares campaign. This month, we're closing out our projects for this last year, and you're gonna get to hear some different updates throughout the month of, as we're kind of wrapping up some of those projects. We get to do so many good things. You know, this past year, uh, we were able to provide free oil changes for single moms on Mother's Day weekend, which was just an incredible weekend. We had over 70 people serve this past summer through our Big Serve. We sent four teams all over the world through our Calvary Cares teams. We were blessed to be able to serve over 100 people this past Thanksgiving for our Norwin Thanksgiving meal. During the Christmas season, we were able to help 101 kids with gifts and, and numerous families with Christmas meals. Uh, and that's not even considering the 45 people that we've helped over this last year through a crisis care, uh, providing help with bills and different expenses, all the good that we were able to, we were able to do through our Calvary Cares projects, which by the way, uh, we have $75,000 in projects this, this calendar year, or this uh, Calvary Cares year. Um, to date, we're over $105,000 given towards $75,000 in projects. Just, this is awesome. And we have the rest of this month just to give you some context, usually for campaigns, things like that, they, they say 85% of what is pledged will usually come in. And can I tell you, this is how awesome you are as a generous church. We've been doing the Calvary Cares campaign now for 11 years. 11 years. Every single year, our giving exceeds our commitments. 
It doesn't fall 85% short. It's usually 105, 110%. This is what we get to do together. Like, this isn't just something that, wow, look at us. This is what we get to do together. It's awesome. And, and, and all of that doesn't even consider uh, the amazing things that are happening all over the globe through our extended family, our care partners, who are serving in some of the diff- most difficult places in the Middle East, in Africa, South America, and Europe, and, and parts of Asia where we can't even say their names because of how sensitive it is. It's amazing what we get to do, and I'm so blessed. And needless to say, we are an active church We truly are a church that cares in so many different ways. But if we're not careful, that care, those efforts to do good, and the focus we put on being a transformational church that changes the community around us, that that is committed to changing the world, if we're not careful, that can easily slide into something that that, that we miss. We miss what should ultimately precede and actually spur us toward that care. It's not simply a heart of compassion, or a desire to make an impact, although those are good things. But, but that's not the ultimate source of it. You see, we don't do what we do just because it feels good or appears to be good on the outside. Like, like it's not just some marketing ploy or, or some effort of good PR that people can see the good that we do. Uh, no, this is a command, a commission from God. It's an act of obedience. Uh, Jesus said it pretty clearly. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Very clear. Like there's no uh, mincing words here. Jesus said, don't sit back and rest in my word or simply in my presence but go and do something with it. And Jesus closes out that command with his promise that he would be with us. This is the same Jesus that modeled this very thing through his own life here on earth. And and it wasn't simply that he went, but that he was connected to a divine source as he went. Sure, he was God in the flesh, but he was still intentional to create space in time to pray. It's remarkable if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four, first four books of the second part of the Bible we call the New Testament. If you follow the life of Jesus and, and what he taught and what he did, it's remarkable that he was God in the flesh, and yet he would take time regularly to get away and to pray, to seek God. Like he's God in the flesh, but he recognized the importance of that communion and that communication with God. And and throughout this month, we're exploring this one thing that so often gets a bad rap in the church world. It's this idea of prayer. We can easily think that, you know, prayer is some afterthought. It's like our last resort, uh, like the last thing we do when every other option has been explored and and doesn't pan out, then we pray. This thing that those boring spiritual giants do for hours on end, like I'm not one of those people, I can't do that. But prayer is not meant to be this drab, boring practice. It's a powerful encounter with the very source of life. We have access to the powers that, that, that have raised the dead and, and, and have healed the sick. Like This is the power of God and we have access to tap into that source through prayer. Now, do we have anyone here that likes to push the gas tank? like as far past E as they can. You, you can, hey, 
I'm, I'm, I'll just be transparent. I'm one of you, okay? <clears throat> My wife will tell you, we have run out of gas a few times. Um, and, and it's my fault, I'll admit it, because I like to see how much potential does this gas tank have. Like, I know it's past E, but I believe in it for something more, you know? And, and, and maybe you're one of those people, like maybe your car, like my car, it tells me how many miles till E, and when it says zero, I'm like, you're lying. I know you're lying. I still have more room. I know it. Uh, maybe you're one of those people. If you're not one of those people, you probably married one of those people because that's uh, how that works. Um, as a follower of Jesus, uh, out, of a, out of a desire to honor Jesus and, and his way of life, we often try to do the work of Jesus without the power of Jesus. We, we try to obey what God has told us, what Jesus has taught us to do and, and who he's taught us to be and, and who he encouraged us to be. And, and, and we, we think it's this act of our will, of our action, and we try to do the work of Jesus without the power of Jesus. And, and similar to, to running on E with your car, we try to care for people before we pray. We, we try to, to, to give out of something we don't actually have. We try to do good things, but we forget about the source of all ultimately that is good. And, and we miss it. And it's not that it's bad to do good things. It's not that it's bad to serve people, to sacrifice, to volunteer, to give, to be generous. Like those are good things. Those are characteristics of God that, that he so deeply wants us to adopt. But if we do those things without recognizing the source, we become guilty of the very thing Jesus accused the religious leaders in the first century of, which is we become hypocrites. He, he, he used these strong words. This is so strong. He said, they were whitewashed tombs, meaning that they looked beautiful on the outside, but they were full of dead men's bones on the inside. Like there was evil on the inside, but on the outside, everything looked polished. That's the last thing God wants from us. Yeah, I love this quote from Mother Teresa. She said this, to keep a lamp burning, we have to keep putting oil on it. That's such a simple idea. But to keep a lamp burning, we have to keep putting oil on it. Like we have to make sure that it has enough fuel and, and prayer, prayer is a connection to the presence and power of God. It is the source of all that we do. Prayer isn't meant to be an obliga obligation, but an encounter. It's an encounter with a God that is greater than what stands before us. He's a God that slays giants, that encourages the downtrodden, that breathes life into dead bones. This isn't a passive, we'll just make it God. This is a God that is more than enough, a God that is our provider and our source. And, and as we start this year, there is no better way to start the year than on our knees. This is why, this is one of the, the first of our core values as a church. That, that we start by seeking God through his word and his spirit. We start by seeking God through his word and his spirit. Why is that the first core value? Because everything we do as a church, as a community of faith, should start there. When we start right, we find ourselves having a much better chance at living right. Sometimes we try so hard to live right. <clears throat> We've tried everything, and it's just such a struggle. But what if we can start right? Start right. And, and in one of the most pivotal moments in Jesus' life on earth, he modeled this very thing for us. He, he had just finished having a Passover meal with his disciples, a meal that we now refer to as the Last Supper. Now, anytime you refer to something in that way, 
you understand like the gravity of what was taking place, uh, it's a good indicator of how difficult and important that time was. The Last Supper. Jesus was preparing for what he knew would be his ultimate purpose for coming to this earth. While we love celebrating the little baby born to Mary and Joseph at Christmas, Jesus came not simply to be born, but to die. Following this meal, Jesus began to prepare for the greatest act of care the human race has ever known. He would endure a brutal beating, be mocked and embarrassed, and and eventually he would be nailed to a cross to die. Now, none of of that's news to us. We we know that. But but the disciples and, and Jesus hadn't revealed all of that. Jesus was fully human. So he'd experience and endure the intense pain that the Romans had learned to inflict on their victims. The crucifixion wasn't something unique to Jesus. This is something that is very common by, uh, practiced by the Romans because the Romans wanted to make sure that criminals of the state knew you never do that. Uh, not just criminals of the state, but that everyone else watching the pain, the punishment that was inflicted would, would fear ever crossing a Roman again. And so they had learned, they become masters, students of inflicting the most cr- gruesome, painful things on their victims, on those who are, who are guilty of the, of the crimes that they would uh, 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 put before them. And, and Jesus was now uh, on the forefront of this. But, but recognize Jesus experienced the pain, the suffering, but Jesus was also God. So, so none of this came as a surprise to him. From the moment he could gather his thoughts as a child, Jesus would have known that this was his destiny, to die a gruesome, undeserved death as a sacrifice for the sin and mistakes and the evil in this world. Now, think about this. If you knew that you were about to go through something like that, something you know would be the end of your life in the worst possible way, what would you do? If you knew that was coming, what would you do? We struggle sometimes, like just to, to you know, start our exercise routine, right? We're like, man, I gotta run on this treadmill for like 15 minutes. I don't think I can do this. Or, or do I really have to eat that meal? I know that's what my like, diet is telling me to do, uh, and, and I know I've, I've, I've already said I do this, but I don't know if I want to do that. Now imagine, like, Jesus is about to die in the most gruesome way, and he knew it was coming. What would you do if that was you, if you were in his shoes? For, for Jesus, listen to what he did. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there, and pray. The, the Garden of Gethsemane that's referred to here is, literally means oil press. It, it had uh, an olive grove uh, on its property, and, and it was located on the west or city side of the Mount of Olives. If, you're, if you read scripture, you'll see the Mount of Olives referenced oftentimes for some significant moments. It, was, <clears throat> it would have been a very peaceful place to go that evening. It wasn't a place that was bustling necessarily. And Jesus went with one primary purpose, to pray, to talk to the Heavenly Father. He only had three of his disciples with him, uh, not the whole crew. So he only had three. And it was the three that most often refer to as like the inner three. It was Peter, James, and John. He leaves them at the entrance of the garden, and he asks them to pray for him 
And he goes and retreats further into the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what it says in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We we see here this remarkable balance in Jesus' response between his current reality and the total surrender to God's will. There wasn't a a detachment from reality, but a recognition of God's reality. This is something that that really only happens through prayer. You know, we can be facing the biggest giants in our world, like things that are overwhelming and so daunting. And prayer like reorients us, recognizing how much bigger God is than what we're facing. In, In the face of overwhelming, seemingly impossible circumstances, prayer helps us find peace because of our recognition of God's reality in spite of our current reality. This is, this think, think about what, what, what a seemingly insane response the Apostle Paul and, and Silas had, what's recorded in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, which is uh, the book right after the book of John in the New Testament, in verse 23, listen to this. It says, after they had been severely flogged, and they're speaking of Paul and Silas, these two missionaries who were sent on a mission. So after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, which most would have believed was probably in a downstairs or basement cell, no sunlight. They're in an inner cell and he says, and fastened their feet in stocks. So they're, they're literally locked in, they're chained up, they're in a dark place, they're, it's, it's dreary, there's probably rats running everywhere, it's not clean. Like Romans weren't known for their sanitary practices with prisoners, uh, quite the opposite. And in and, and all of this, understand is the result of Paul and Silas literally obeying a vision God had given Paul to go to Macedonia. So, so Paul gets this vision, he, they obey the vision, and the result of obeying God's vision, his word, is they're beaten, flogged severely, thrown in a basement jail cell, and locked up in stocks. Now, this is the point for a lot of us that we turn our faces toward heaven, shake our fists and say, God, what is the deal? Like, I did what you asked me to do. I was obedient. I was faithful. I did it all. Why in the world am I now locked up? What's the deal here? This doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. One plus one is not equaling two. It's equaling negative five. Why? What's wrong here? This is such a difficult place to be in. But look at what Paul and Silas did. Very next verse, verse 25 of Acts 16. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Like what in the world? They Understand, they didn't have Spotify or Alexa. They weren't like, Alexa, put on some K-Love. Man, this is encouraging my mood. It's so positive and encouraging. I just feel better about the mood right now. There was none of that. There wasn't, there weren't like essential oils that they, they, you know, set off and, and like the whole room filled with an essential oil of some sort and that like calmed them. Like none of that existed, okay? It was, it stunk. I promise you it it smelled uh, like gross things we won't go into right now, okay? Understand, just side note, there were no bathrooms, okay? They were locked in stock, so you figure it out. There's things rotting, like it's a disgusting place. It's dark, it's midnight. And Paul and Silas, of all the things, 
They're praying and singing hymns to God. What a crazy response. This is Paul and Silas, two regular guys who simply were fully aware of their reality, which wasn't great, but they surrendered to God's reality in the midst of it. Sometimes we can be guilty of becoming so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Uh, If we're not careful, we detach from like what's actually happening in front of us, that things might be bad. Maybe you've been given a diagnosis. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe, maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe, maybe everything is going wrong. Maybe it really is bad. What what, what we're reading here, what we're talking about, prayer doesn't detach us from that. In the middle of the mess, in in the middle of the, the, the stench, God meets us there. Like prayer is like, man, God, why would you come into here with me? Why would you meet me in this place? <clears throat> Just pull me out of it. And, and he doesn't always pull us out of it. See, the first aspect, and I want to share three with you. The first aspect of prayer is that prayer leads us to a divine reality. A divine reality. <clears throat> a divine reality looks at what we're facing, what we're walking through from a very different perspective than we do. That our setbacks, struggles, and difficulties become a part of God's plan. Jesus recognized this as he was praying. <clears throat> he wasn't detached, like, I, this isn't actually happening. Like, he wasn't just reciting to himself, God, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And if he could convince his mind it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, and he'd go into some trance and everything would be okay. That, that's not what was happening. He, he recognized. If you read Luke's account of this, which Luke was a doctor, so his account uh, throughout his gospel oftentimes refers to more medical terms and physical impact. Uh, in Luke's account, it actually says that Jesus was so uh, distressed that he was sweating blood meaning the capillaries and under his skin had burst because he was that stressed, that anxious, that worried. Uh, so he was recognizing the weight of what was taking place. He wasn't detached from reality. But in the midst of it, prayer leads us to a divine reality. A divine reality sees things from a bigger picture. Jesus, after he had that moment and prayed, he would then return to his three, these three disciples, his inner three, only to find them sleeping, of all things, Like, at one of his lowest, most difficult moments, these disciples are sleeping. What a disappointment and discouragement this must have been for him. In his humanity, he surely felt totally abandoned by three men that he considered to be close friends. Maybe you've been there. Here's what he said to them in verse 40. He said, couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? I watch, or or watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In a moment that would only uh, be a precursor of the real abandonment that would take place for Jesus, Jesus is honest about what's taking place. Like he doesn't sugarcoat it. There's There's confession here. Think about this. Jesus himself is saying, the flesh is weak, right now. My flesh is weak right now. He, he actually admits to those he's leading, I'm feeling weak right now. Now, Jesus didn't sin, but being weak isn't a sin. He actually was willing to confess to these three men, I'm weak. He then returns to his place of prayer in verse 42. It says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me, 
away unless I drink it. May your will be done. And this is the second thing we see with prayer. Number one, prayer leads to a divine reality. But number two, prayer leads to confession. Confession. Now, I don't know what your background is. If you come from a more Catholic background, that immediately takes you to a certain place where you stand, uh, you sit there at a, at a confessional and you confess your sins to a priest. That's not what I'm talking about necessarily. Later in the New Testament, Jesus' half-brother James would write uh, this, this, this powerful uh, uh, passage about the importance of confession that sometimes we've lost in the modern church. Here's what he wrote in James 5.16. He said, therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He said, confess your sins to each other. We we have often lost the power and blessing that flows from confession because of our fear of what others might think or concern about how others might judge us. Like that we could admit, I'm weak right now. I'm not good right now. I messed up right there. James writes that one of the components that leads us to our own healing and wholeness is actually confession. He, he said it, so right there. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, those two things, so that you may be healed. He didn't just say pray for each other. He said confess your sins and pray for each other. Confession is such a healing component in our lives. And while Jesus hadn't sinned here, His confession of his own weakness in this moment actually becomes a source of strength. Paul would explain later how this works in in his second letter to the Corinthian church, who we know today as the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing about what he refers to as his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. It could have been like a younger brother who just picked on him. It could have been uh, a limp. It could have been uh, some physical ailment. It could have been a speech impediment. It could have been, there's a whole lot of things. No one knows what the thorn in the flesh was. But, but in this passage, in this chapter, Paul's writing, I begged God. Here's what he said in verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Like God, whatever this is, take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That that verse makes absolutely no sense to a 21st century American. My grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in weakness? No, no, no. We aren't weak people, we are strong people. But this is what he says. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, Listen to this, this is craziness. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Understand what he's talking about there. Like what he lists there, those aren't like, I got a hangnail, or I, I like, I um, stubbed my toe. He's talking, this is the man who's been in jail, who's been beaten to the point of almost death. When he's talking about hardships and persecutions, he's not talking about easy stuff. And he's saying, I delight in these things. And he finishes off, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't make any sense. You see, we are told by our culture that we should present a strong, impressive front to others. We've got it all together. But in prayer, in prayer, the walls come down and we confess, when we can confess our own weaknesses and inadequacies to God and even, which is even more healing to each other. I'm not saying like you just wear everything on your sleeve and you tell everyone you post on Facebook or social media like everything that's wrong with you. That's not what I'm talking about. But do you have people 
that you can confess to. And what's the result? An authentic person with a posture of confession is always able to care for others in a more meaningful way than a person who is guarded and distant. Always, every time. As author Craig Rochelle says, I love this quote, we might impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We might impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. What's crazy is this is how God made us in spite of the fact that this is what culture tells us is all wrong. And this is what Jesus had done. Prayer leads us to confession. It doesn't just lead us to a place where we recognize this divine reality, what God is actually doing. But we're able and feel comfortable confessing our inadequacy to deal with our current reality, our inadequacy to deal with what's in front of us. Maybe 2024 is not a year you're looking forward to, but it's okay to confess that. Jesus, after this moment, would then return one more time, a third time, to his disciples. Verse 43, it says, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I could just see Peter being like, no man, we're not awake, we're not sleeping, we're good, we're good. Like, you got droll coming down your face, Peter. I know you were sleeping. And, 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 and he left them, verse 44, he didn't say anything, he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Leave it there for a second, verse 44, listen to that. Say, he, he left and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Why in the world would Jesus do this? This seems so repetitive. Why would Jesus do the exact same thing a third time? The saying the same thing. Wasn't once or twice enough? This is the third part of prayer that we learn from Jesus here. It's this. Prayer leads to persistence. Prayer leads us to persistence. In our humanity, we're often ready to throw in the towel and give up on a situation, person, or dream long before God ever intends us to. Maybe, maybe you've had people doubt what God's put in your heart. Maybe life has made you doubt whether or not you can take another year of this or of that. Maybe, maybe you're just ready to quit it all. Prayer becomes this reminder, as it did for Jesus, that you can keep going because it's not all on you. There is a God who is greater that is fighting for you, walking with you, and has a great purpose for you. Jesus shares this uh, really interesting parable uh, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 18, about this. And, and Luke, in verse one of this chapter, tells us what's the whole idea of this parable before Jesus even shares the story. Here's what he said in verse one. <clears throat> it says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus then goes on to share about a widow who would continually go before a judge to find justice against her adversary. In the parable, the judge, after numerous times of this widow coming before him, the judge would finally admit that, that he would grant her justice almost entirely because she was simply persistent. And then Jesus concludes at the end of this parable saying that, if an unjust, and he refers to it as an unjust judge, if an unjust judge would respond this way, how much greater would a God who loves us? You see, prayer leads us to persistence, to make a difference in our world, a difference that really has lasting results, not isn't, it's just a, a, a flash in the pan, but, but to have results, to make a difference that lasts. We don't need bigger or better things to offer our world. We just need Consistent care. 
If you wanna be a catalyst for change in this world, if you want your life to count for something, one of the best things you can do after praying is to simply show up. As a mentor in my life, Otto Wigner often said, where God's people are, God's presence is. That you simply showing up with the presence of God changes the atmosphere. Not because of you, but because God is with you. Jesus said, I will be with you surely even to the end of the age. Sometimes it's not what we have to, to it's, it's not like we have to, to, to start this big nonprofit that, that impacts world hunger or, or that we find the cure to some disease that's affecting the globe. But sometimes it's just important that we are willing to pray, to tap into God as this true source of strength and simply, simply show up. Like that's simple. As the worship team comes this morning, prayer can often seem like this thing that we do for God to simply appease him. <clears throat> like God's asking us, if you'll pray, then this will happen. Like we're, we're like twisting God's hand to get what we want. You can read 2 Chronicles chapter 7 as God is speaking to King Solomon and it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. And, and, and we think like it's this, this, this contract, like God, I'll do my part if you do your part and that's how it works. That's not, that's not what prayer is all about. We can see prayer as the ancient Greeks or Romans did who, who would go to great lengths to appease the gods of war the gods of love, of the sun, of all other aspects of life, just to get what they ultimately wanted for their lives. And, and we do maybe our obligatory practice, we recite our writ prayer, and we wonder why it feels so empty. Well, maybe prayer isn't about appeasing God. Maybe prayer isn't about appeasing God. Maybe prayer is about changing us. Maybe prayer is about changing you. Maybe, maybe prayer isn't about just going through the motions and, and, and checking something off of a box and saying, well, I did my part, now what, God? Maybe it's about putting yourself in a posture of saying, God, what do you want to do in me? God, how do you want to change me? And in 2024, my hope and passion for you isn't that you learn this religious practice, isn't that you start going through motions and add one more thing to your list of things you do every morning in your routine. My hope for you is that you could encounter the reality of God's presence in your life, that you could encounter the source of all that is good, and that out of that you could serve and change the world, but that you wouldn't serve and change the world just because you do, but you do it out of a heart that has been changed and transformed by a God who so deeply loves you. You see, prayer, prayer leads us to a divine reality. Prayer leads us to this important, healthy place of confession. And prayer leads us to persistence, something the church in America needs so deeply, persistence. And here's what I wanna do. I wanna challenge you with over these next few weeks, over these next 21 days. What would your life look like if you made prayer a priority in your everyday life? And here's what I, I hope to see today. A hundred people here at Calvary, a hundred people who would commit to spend at least five minutes a day in prayer for the next 21 days. Five minutes a day for the next 21 days. That's 500 minutes of prayer. Think about how the world could be changed if God's people 
were willing to spend five minutes, simply five minutes of prayer. Think about that. Like if, if we had 100 people spending five minutes a day for 21 days, people who are connected to God's reality, ready to confess their own inadequacy and be persistent in their prayers. In, in 21 days from today, it's our Vision Sunday. And, and what better way to step into this special, this special day and then to be prayed up and ready for what God wants to do. And, and here's, here's what I wanna challenge you to do. If, if you'd say, you know what, I'll, I'll commit to pray at least five minutes for the next 21 days. I'll commit to do that. Here's what I want you to do. Pull out your phone, and I want you to text the word PRAY to 724-585-8826. If you can leave that on the screen for a second. If you text the word PRAY to 724-585-8826, I know it's a long number, I'm sorry, it's a long number, it just is. But if you text PRAY, you're gonna be added to a list. And every morning for the next 21 days, so before you text it, no, this is coming. Every morning for the next 21 days, you're gonna get a little prayer focus from me. Just to say, it's gonna be one little sentence, not gonna be like a long paragraph. It's not gonna be, you know, something you have to take 10 minutes to read. It's literally gonna be like a sentence. And it'll be a prayer focus for that day. And it'll be a reminder to say, you know what? For the next 21 days, I'm gonna make prayer a priority. It's gonna come at 7 a.m. every morning for the next 21 days. So I'm giving you the heads up. If you're like, that sounds miserable. Don't text pray to 724-5, okay? But if you're hungry, to know God more. If you're like, man, I need to make this a priority. I hope you can join us. Because this isn't about uh, a religious exercise or obligation. This is about seeking God. And and something we're gonna do throughout this whole month is at the end of our services, we're not gonna have a a, a conclusion where we're gonna like dismiss everybody. We're gonna have some extended time just to seek God. We're gonna linger. You can stay as long as you want. The worship team is gonna lead us in, in worship and we're gonna take some time to pray. And my hope is that in the busyness that we've come off of the Christmas season, in the busyness of starting a new year, that we could pause and say, you know what, God? I need to seek God. I need more of him. I need more of his presence in my life. I don't need more of me. I need more of him, less of me. And this is an opportunity to do that. So if you could stand with me this morning, <clears throat> we're not gonna have a dismissal. If you have to go, please slip out quietly whenever you need to go. But I would encourage you, I hope you can stay and linger a little bit. And, and as we worship, can we just put ourselves in a place of, of worship, a posture of worship? We read in the Old Testament, there were different postures of worship and different sacrifices that were offered and, and they each had different purposes. Can we come to the place of surrender? And if you feel comfortable, one time you might see people lifting their hands. It's, just a, it's a sign of surrender saying, God, just take all of me. If you feel comfortable just lifting your hands this morning, God, we come before you this morning. God, we wanna know you. We wanna seek your heart. We want more of you in our life. We wanna be persistent. God, recognize the importance of that divine reality and and be willing to confess before you. God, we need you in our lives, not just as an add-on, but we need all of you, all that you have for us. God, we come before you today, acknowledging we're not enough, but recognizing that you are more than enough. Let's sing this song together this morning as we worship.
This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.